HSBC's voice biometrics fail to spot an imposter, and this year's AppSec conference highlights the growing importance of application security. These stories and more coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Matthew Schwartz. We begin today's report with a look at how banks are beginning to offer their customers a convenient way to authenticate when they're using telephone banking. They can repeat a passphrase three times and then use that phrase in the future whenever they phone up to be given access. What could possibly go wrong? After the tone, please repeat the phrase, my voice is my password. My voice is my password. Welcome to HSBC Advance. The balance of your account is £1.21. Pence. Credit. I'm off to the bank. I thought it was going to be more than that, Dan. <laughs> That's a clip from a BBC expose by reporter Dan Simmons, who set up an HSBC account and enabled its voice ID authentication service, which listened to his voice to create a profile of it for future logins. Just one problem. The voice you heard authenticating to HSBC's service was Joe. He's Dan's non-identical twin brother. And after seven failed attempts, we heard his eighth attempt, in which Joe successfully gained access to his brother's account. Dan and his brother, they tried it several times, and it didn't work. The point was they were able to keep on going until it did work. And again, that shows something that's a complete anathema in security, that if you've got something that just shouldn't be wrong. I mean, biometrics, it either is you or isn't you. And it's notable, actually, after that, that I notice HSB has said they're now going to limit it to those three times. So it shows that the value in raising some of these things more broadly, that people actually do pay attention to them. That's Alan Woodward, a computer science professor at the University of Surrey, who's studied various forms of biometrics. Now, one HSBC biometric caveat is that after a customer, or someone pretending to be a customer, uses voice biometrics to access an HSBC account, they can only check balances, hear about recent transactions, or move money only between their own accounts. But Dan's research is important in that it highlights the limits of voice biometrics as a security tool. Another example of that came at this year's AppSec Europe conference in Belfast, Northern Ireland. At it, Australia-based security researcher Jacob Kaluzny asked how hard it might be to get people to repeat that security phrase to a stranger. Here's some of what he heard. Yeah, my, this is my password. Great, thanks, mate. Hey, my voice is my password. Great, thanks a lot, mate. My voice is my password. My voice is my password. Right, would you do that to Right. My voice is my password. This is my password. Right. All of that was thanks to Jacob asking random strangers to repeat the five-word phrase saying it was for a research project. Of course, someone with malicious intentions might also do the same. The trouble is that it gets introduced there, and then people think, oh, actually, maybe it can be used instead of a password. And it starts to be introduced in terms of, I don't know, looking at your emails or something like that. I think if there's one thing we've learned in security, it's that single-factor authentication is not the best idea. If you really want to protect something, at least two-stage and ideally two-factor authentication ought to be the rule of the day. Of the three things you have, that the something you know, passwords, for example, the something you have, like a dongle, or the something you are, your biometrics, really you ought to be using two of those in order to secure anything that you really do value. 
You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. From Voice Biometrics, the ISMG Security Report now turns to controversial WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange, an Australian who's been holed up in the Ecuadorian embassy in London since 2012. Here's our managing editor, Jeremy Kirk, with more. Sweden has ended a seven-year rape investigation against WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange, but it's far from the end of the legal troubles for the man whose spilling of secrets has shaped world politics. On Friday, Sweden said it's unlikely Assange would ever be returned to the country. Assange took refuge in Ecuador's embassy in London in June 2012. It's long suggested that the rape investigation, as well as now-dropped probes concerning sexual assault, were a pretense to detain him for his WikiLeaks work. Although he has been granted asylum by Ecuador, Assange now faces potential arrest by UK authorities for skipping bail. There are also the looming legal issues over his WikiLeaks work, which has leaked highly sensitive US military and government information. From his small room in Ecuador's embassy, Assange continued to run WikiLeaks. The website became a major player in the US presidential election. It trickled out leaked emails and information that came from key Democratic Party officials, altering an already chaotic presidential campaign. The disclosures largely benefited President Donald Trump. Trump used the disclosures to cast doubt on Hillary Clinton's honesty, and he famously declared on the campaign trail that I love WikiLeaks. U.S. intelligence agencies believe Russia passed the documents to WikiLeaks. Recently, the U.S. government has reinforced its dim view of the organization. That's in part due to Vault 7, which comprises large caches of CIA network exploitation techniques, which was published by WikiLeaks in early March. In a speech last month, CIA Director Mike Pompeo dismissed Assange as a narcissist and a fraud who wrongly believes the First Amendment will protect him. Pompeo's comment touches on a key issue, whether prosecutors could justify an espionage-type case against Assange or whether WikiLeaks is protected by freedom of press. News outlets frequently publish classified information, but prosecutors can only bring cases against those who leaked the material. Attorney General Jeff Sessions has also said the government would step up its efforts to pursue those behind leaks, including Assange. Ultimately, it means he may be a house guest of Ecuador for quite a bit longer. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. Now, back to Northern Ireland. Earlier this month, I was in Belfast, reporting from the 2017 AppSec Europe Conference. The annual event is run by the Open Web Application Security Project, or OWASP, and this year it was hosted by the group's Belfast chapter, which was founded three years ago. We have had four main conference tracks. That's Michelle Simpson, a co-founder of the OWASP Belfast chapter and co-organizer of this year's conference. We've had hacker track, developer track, DevSecOps, which is reasonably new concept that was coined by one of our keynotes, Shannon Leitz. Um, it's a, an interesting concept of combining development operations and security, which is uh, really what we should all be doing. <laughs> and a fourth uh, CISO kind of risk governance track. One of the highlights of this year's conference was its annual dinner for attendees held in a ballroom at the Titanic Belfast. That's an award-winning museum located on the site of the former Harland and Wolf shipyard where the Titanic was built. The evening featured Northern Irish food as well as entertainment. (laughs) 
One of the biggest takeaways from this year's conference is that application security has never been more important. We rely on it to secure the apps, operating systems, and devices, not to mention telephone and internet accessible bank accounts that are increasingly a part of our everyday life. But the Titanic offers a fitting, if potentially inadvertent, metaphor for the perils that we all face. As locals said of the sunken ship, it was fine when it left Belfast. Despite its build quality, however, in an unexpected turn, its captain ran it into an iceberg. Likewise, applications can work great in the lab and seem perfectly secure. Too often, however, the applications fail in real-world environments, at the hands of consumers, both clueless and clued in, never mind researchers, cyber criminals seeking a quick buck, or potentially even nation-state attackers. So here's hoping the discipline of application security has better success than the famous and short-lived White Star Liner of 105 years ago. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Catch you next time.